Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello and welcome back. I am continuing my story, pretty much my life story and my story of abuse. This is part two. So if you haven't heard part one, it's probably helpful to go back and listen to part one of my story. But in part two, I'm going to be diving further into my childhood. After we moved out west and I started public school, I will talk about the pedophile, actually more than one pedophile in the school. And I will definitely tell you my salvation story, some of which I've talked a little bit about on the podcast, but this is going to be raw and vulnerable, and hopefully you guys can relate to that. I don't know how long this series is going to go, I guess as long as it takes, but I felt called to tell my story in in detail so you would get to know me better and Perhaps you could, you know, tell me what you have gone through and what you've struggled with as well. I do have my notes here because my Swiss cheese brain squirrel. (laughs) And if you've ever tried to recall certain events, it's difficult to do on the fly without leaving out some really important details. So I'm going to begin with... We moved to the West Coast, and it's a huge, huge culture shock. Oh, it's hard to join a new school in the middle of the year. I think it was November. Now, I had thought that out West, Arizona, everybody wore a cowboy outfit. (laughs) You know, the whole Western movies thing, that's the only thing that I knew about out west was what we've seen in the movies as a child and so can you imagine me showing up the first day of school in the middle of the year i don't know anybody and i had this western shirt on cowboy boots and a jean skirt i don't remember if i brought the hat or not i don't think so but i wondered why i didn't get beat up the first day (laughs) And East Coast and West Coast, they definitely talk different. You know this. So I didn't think I talked funny, but apparently they did. Elementary school children are really mean. So I would say orange instead of orange. And I would say water instead of water. And there were probably a bunch of other things that I said that they thought were hilarious. Anyway, I only had met a couple friends, three of which I am still friends with today, albeit the pandemic has kept us apart. My friend Tracy has known me since the fourth grade. She's my oldest friend. She lives here still in the valley and 
is heavily married with a bunch of kids and it's funny her her daughter is at the same age that we were when we met back in the day and she looks just like her <laughs> oh, and the uh, the other two friends they definitely are still my good friends you know public school didn't have uniforms like catholic school i didn't have an issue with uniforms i actually liked the one that we had in the catholic school it was it wasn't the typical ones that you see with the plaid it was a solid a solid blue navy jumper not that they look nice so back to the way i dressed now not only did i not dress cool culturally i noticed that all the kids wore designer clothes you remember Kmart, Kmart layaway? My mom bought all of our clothes and Christmas gifts on Kmart layaway. That was the only way we could afford, I guess, to clothe and feed us. Now, I thought that they were nice clothes personally. I didn't know any better. But because I didn't have guest jeans or Gucci or Calvin Klein on them, I was picked on. Now, I was behind everyone in class because I started in the middle of the year, so I was kind of targeted as stupid. I was put in remedial classes. Now, I'll, I'll say that I was never good at math. You know, I have a pretty good grasp on, I guess, the basics of math now, but I was always a strong reader since probably the second grade, so I never understood why I was put in a remedial reading class. Yeah, math, I get it. Science, yeah, I'm not a science geek. So I struggled a little bit there. And then there was band class. Everybody went to band class. And they were playing the kazoo and the violin. Again, I'm way behind. So I was in the supply closet with another violinist trying to catch up in violin to where everybody else was. Now, I could not read music yet. I was terrible at it, even though I liked the violin. I was always way behind. I kind of gave up when I was in the beginner concert when my parents were looking for me in the intermediate group. They were like, where were you? We were looking for you at the concert. So, well, I was playing with the second graders. So I gave up on violin, but I focused on choir and dance. I really loved choir, and I guess I had a natural ability. Really enjoyed dance. Again, back to the... I really liked Michael Jackson at the time, and he was the latest and greatest. Thriller. Thriller dance. Solid gold. The solid gold dancers. Fame was very popular. Star Search. Yeah, Star Search was around long before The Voice. <laughs> or be before American Idol. That was when people actually had to have talent to audition. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to be a, a dancer when I grew up. And, you know, I just would dance in the living room and me and my friends would make up routines. And but I didn't really start ballet until I was 14. Anyhow, I was raised with all kinds of great music. So I had a really fun upbringing, I guess, with the arts, dancing and singing and music. Now, my mom always loved horses, so when we moved, we got a home that allowed horses. So we started with an Appaloosa, very beautiful animal. Anyway, we as kids used to enter our Appaloosa in western horse shows. We 
We won a couple of ribbons and we were decked out in our real cowboy outfits. <laughs> we also had a Palomino female that we bred twice. We had a foal and a filly. We had another male Palomino who was lame, couldn't ride him. And then we had a Shetland pony that nobody liked. He would buck us off when we would try to ride him or bite us when we would try and put the bit into his mouth or the harness on. Saddle. So my dad eventually sold him at auction, but, um, we enjoyed the horses. They were a lot of work. It was fun to have the ponies or the, the babies in the backyard. It was funny. We never saw them born. We had our camping trailer out in the, where the horses were. And when we, the mare was pregnant, ready to give birth on both times, my mom would sleep out there in the, in the camping trailer and, uh, staying up all night to see the, <laughs> to see the horses born and each time she would give up after three or four days of sleeping out there and you know of course we would look over the wall and the next morning and and she had her baby and nobody got to see the birth so sneaky sneaky horse <laughs> didn't want us watching so having horses i think really taught us a lot of valuable lessons i suppose we got to ride them and rode them in the desert. We kids had the fun task of chores. Horses means lots of chores. Now, Dad would feed the horses every morning and evening, but we had to fill the water buckets. We had to muck the, the uh, pens, the horse manure. We would give them a bath. We would brush them. And this is all in the heat, uh, 110, 115 degree heat. If you've had a farm or a garden, you know that you have to get up very early before the heat begins. Your animals are not very happy when they don't get fed in a timely fashion. <laughs> and so along with that, um, we were pulling weeds. We had this huge cactus garden in the front yard. And you have not lived until you have pulled weeds next to cactus. And it was as horrible as it sounds. All character building activities. Yes. The sad part of the story was that our Appaloosa got cancer and we had to slowly watch him deteriorate. And, uh, until finally we had the vet come out to the house and put him down while we were not at home. I think that's probably why I'm not a vet, although I love animals and probably would have changed my career path instead of pharmacy. I probably should have gone into veterinarian medicine. Uh, that's probably why I can't deal with putting an animal to sleep. Our old dog got hit by a car. Our other dogs ran away. Uh, we had some Weimaraners. So that's traumatic growing up and you lose your animals. We had all kinds of, we had hamsters, we had birds, we had rabbits and yeah, they all eventually died. So that's part of growing up, I guess. And even as an adult, the dogs that we've had, they have died and it's just as painful. <laughs> it sucks really bad. So with the horses, 
we eventually had to sell them because the horses are expensive. One, I think we, we couldn't afford to feed them, care for them. I mean, anytime something would go wrong, the vet would have to come out to the house and that's expensive. And you had had to shoe the horses, meaning you had to take the shoes off and kind of like filing your fingernails down or clipping your toenails. And then you'd have to put the new horseshoes on and you had to hire somebody to come in and do that for you unless you are uh, skilled in that, which we were not. Uh, so I think we, we moved up into the mountains, into the country and the house that we lived in was uh, that particular area was more expensive than where we were living and we couldn't, couldn't afford to um, take care of them. We didn't have horse privileges, I guess. I'm just going by my memory. So that was my happy part of my childhood with the horses. So I'm going to talk about my salvation story because that I'm going by a timeline so I don't forget anything. So we went on vacation back east where we were from. My cousin got married and so we got, I guess, formal wear, go back and see my cousin get married. And we stayed with my Baptist cousins while we were there. And our cousins took us to vacation Bible school. It was just me and my sister. My two brothers were too young at the time. So this was the first time that I was hearing about the Bible and grace by faith instead of works. We did this song called 2 Corinthians 6-2. I won't sing it for you because it's one of those that gets stuck in your head and you'll never get it out of your head. But I still remember that verse from that song that we sang in Vacation Bible School. And I had to wear the same dress every day, of course. This was the only dress that I had with me was for my cousin's wedding. It was a light blue and gray dress. It was short-sleeved. It was down to my knees. It had a little side sash. I thought it was a really nice dress but because, you know, Baptists, they focus on the externals. You had to wear a dress to church. I wore that dress every day for a week. So I started having questions listening to Vacation Bible School and they talked about getting saved. And I stayed up all night asking my cousin questions and my aunt was there with us who has gone on to be with the Lord. But I knew that I loved Jesus already. And I knew that he died on the cross for my sin. I knew that. I tried to be a good Catholic. I did, did all the sacraments as I was supposed to. And so I kept asking them questions. We stayed up all night. My parents had gone um, back home and left me and my sister behind because, you know, it was summer vacation, so we could stay and drive my cousins nuts instead. So they had a huge chance to talk to us about the Lord. So I was asking about Mary, and I was asking about the Pope, and, you know, what about the sacraments, and what about baptism? I was baptized as a baby. And they answered all my questions very truthfully and sincerely. And they, they pretty much said that it's not by works that you get into heaven, it's by grace. It's by Jesus. Your faith in Jesus and his death on the cross is sufficient payment for your sin. 
not all of the things that you do. And I know it's semantics at this point, but I really wanted to make sure, being a lover of God myself, that I was definitely going to go to heaven when I died. As I said in the last podcast episode, the only people that really had full assurance were the priests and the nuns. But my cousin said, you can definitely know for sure that you're going to heaven from the Bible and what it promises. And we had this daily bread booklet. You may have you may have seen them before that these little booklets from Radio Bible Class. And they were sitting on the toilet for people to read. And they're just little short devotionals with a story and a verse and a prayer at the end. I really like those little booklets. I kept that one that was in that bathroom. I still have it because that was the day that I made that decision. I was pretty sure that I did not want to go to hell. So I pretty much decided I was going to pray tonight to be sure. I was going to wait until I went to bed when everybody was asleep already. Because I'm a pretty private person and I wanted this to be my decision and I didn't want to be pressured by those around me. But I knew what was going to happen was very important. So I waited till it was 10 o'clock at night and everybody had gone to sleep. I was sharing a bunk bed with my youngest cousin. She was nine years old at the time. Really, really loved God. And she was asleep, and so I climbed up on the bunk bed ladder, and I prayed, you know, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner, and I trust in you, Jesus, to save me, and please come into my my life, into my heart, and save me. wasn't a very fancy prayer, but it was from my heart. And, you know, the Baptists kind of make it a a big event when somebody gets saved. And so I expected, you know, to feel the big warm fuzzies and the fireworks to go off. The clock struck 10 o'clock p.m. I sat there on the bunk bed ladder and I I don't feel any different. (laughs) I don't feel the fireworks or the warm fuzzies. So I prayed the prayer again just to be sure. And I thought, well, I think that God heard me and he knew my heart. So I climbed up into bed and I went to sleep. And I woke up the next morning and I stuck my head down into the bunk where my cousin was sitting up. And I told her, guess what I did last night? And she said, what? I said, I got saved. And she is just jumping up and down, just going bananas and screaming at the top of her lungs. You had thought I'd won the lottery. Well, in all sincerity, I did win the spiritual lottery, yes. So she's running down the stairs. Everybody's at breakfast already, and she tells everybody that I had gotten saved. So, yeah, she took away my thunder. (laughs) But she was very excited for me. So I went down the stairs to breakfast and everybody was hugging and kissing me and telling me how happy they were for me and welcome to the family of God. So we had midweek service that we went to and a couple of the ladies in the church that I had been talking to all week, family at VBS, one of them 
said, you know, Diana, when you came into church this morning, I could see, I could see the glow on your face that something was different. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't feel glowy at all, but <laughs> I'll just take your word for it. Anyway, my, my mother and father did not know about my decision because they weren't there. These were the days before the internet and long distance was expensive to call somebody across the country. My cousins would not baptize me against my parents' wishes or permission. So me and my sister flew home and I didn't say anything at first. But one afternoon, my mother came to me and said that I needed to go to confession. Now, confession to a priest is what she's talking about. If you remember from my previous episode that Catholics confess their sins to a priest. And so, of course, me with my big mouth, <laughs> I responded, I don't need to tell my sins to a priest anymore. I can tell my sins directly to Jesus. And you would have thought that I said something really horrible, which she just pretty much flipped out on me. She said, did your cousins tell you that? You wait till your father comes home. We're going to talk about this. So when my father came home, he sat me and my sister down on the couch and we had a serious talk. So here we are in the living room and my parents asked us what happened at my cousin's house. And I told them about getting saved. But my decision was very real and very personal. And I believed what my cousin said was true. Now, my dad said my cousin's Baptist church was a cult. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast for any length of time and you've heard our guests on the show, uh, my dad wasn't too far off in that assumption. I'm not saying all Baptist churches are cults, but there are definitely some out there that lean in that direction. I don't think my, my cousin's church was that way, but they're Catholic. They took my Bible away and forbid me to talk to my cousins anymore. So I could not call them long distance. I could only write letters. And I remember trying to write some letters and hope, hopefully they wouldn't have gotten intercepted by my mom. But I was pretty much alone, and I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. I was pretty much told that I was going to be Catholic and go to the Catholic Church until I was 18, when I could make my own decision. So I was alone in my new faith. Now, I will talk about when that has changed later down the road here. We're going to transition into... I'm in grade school and going to transition into the pedophiles that were in the school. Now, when I was in, I think it was the fifth grade, I was in the Girl Scouts. And I won't get into it, but I didn't have a really great experience with the Girl Scouts. The troop I was in was very snooty and stuck on themselves and not very kind. But we met at the kindergarten classroom on the school campus. Now, after our Girl Scout meeting, I walked a mile home, and there's a shortcut. Instead of walking on the major thoroughfare with the cars, we have what's called a bridle path. 
for the horses. It's pretty much where you would be able to ride your horse behind people's houses so you wouldn't have the car spooking the horse. Also, people would put their trash back there. So I would cut through the bridle path so I wouldn't have to walk along the street. And that turned out to be not a good idea. A young man followed me home. Now, I think he was in the eighth grade. He was tall and he had blonde hair. He was walking behind me. He was talking dirty and describing sexual acts. He was actually quite vile and it really scared me as a young girl. Probably would scare me as an adult too. So I walked faster because there was really no way out of that bridal path unless you climbed somebody's fence. You had to walk to the end of the block. So I'm walking faster and he keeps, you know, talking to me as we're walking and that something bad is going to happen here. We got to almost to the end of the path and I could hear a zipper come down. He put his hand on my shoulder and he turned me around and said, See, it's not that bad. And I had only seen my brothers naked before, okay? Well, he was showing me his family jewels and I screamed as loud as I could because I did not know what he was going to do. But he ran off into the bushes of somebody's tennis court. He got away and that was fine with me. I was really shaken. So I walked out onto the street where the street where my my house was located on and I don't even remember walking into the house but I told my parents right away who called the school and the principal had me go with him to the cafeteria during the seventh and eighth grade lunch period to identify the boy I don't recall that we saw him in the lunchroom and I don't remember ever seeing him again, but that was pretty scary. I did not walk the bridal path anymore. I walked on the main thoroughfare. Now to be, you know, perfectly candid, somebody could have followed me home walking along the main street or even stopped their car and picked me up. I don't know. Back in those days, it was relatively safe to walk home from school without too much danger. But that wasn't the first time that I would be preyed upon by a pedophile or a pervert. We'll fast forward to seventh grade. Now this was right after I was saved because I was saved when I was 13. So this is the school year after I was saved and I was in the seventh grade and the school counselor came into class and said, who he was and what he does and that he was available to come to talk to us about any problems that you may have. All you had to do is make an appointment to see him. Now he looked like Ernest in Ernest Goes to Camp. If you've ever seen that movie. You know what I mean, Burn? He wasn't particularly good looking. He was kind of goofy looking. 
but he was fun. And he just kind of, you know, took off with the whole earnest thing. He embraced that perception of him. And he hugged all the kids in the halls and he cared about the kids. He complimented the girls on their outfits and how you doing, darling? He had this Texas accent. I think it was Texas. And the girls would complain about their outfit or com- or they'd complain about their hair. And, and he would say stuff like, you'd look good in a potato sack. So his office was really small. No windows. It was probably a little bit bigger than my closet. But his door was always locked. You had to knock to get in. And I uh, made a few appointments to talk about my growing pains, not getting along with my mom. You know, nothing really serious, but he had this beanbag chair, a yellow beanbag chair. And he had his desk and he had his regular office chair. And I told him about how I got saved and he told me he was a Southern Baptist and he knows the Lord too. And so he was building trust at this point. And I remember that he gave me his home phone number. He wasn't married. And I called him a few times to chat on a landline. Now, he never called me. But my dad heard us talking. I don't remember dad asking who it was. But I found out my dad was recording my calls with the counselor. So we had a landline. And so anybody could pick up the phone anywhere in the house and listen to your conversation. You young people are just, (laughs) you have no idea what that's like. So if you were paying attention, you could hear a click and background noise to clue you in that somebody was eavesdropping. Well, my dad is retired from the phone company, so he has skills. (laughs) So one afternoon I was talking to the counselor when my parents weren't home and dad always had the door to his bedroom locked, but I knew how to get in. Pretty easy. I had heard my voice on the phone coming from his room, which was kind of strange. I opened the door and found where the sound was coming from. Under the bed, there was a tape recorder hooked to the phone line. So when a call was made, The recorder started. And I had a boyfriend at the time, too. So he may have been trying to keep tabs on that. Now, the counselor never said anything weird on the phone to cause any alarm. He was just listening and consoling me or, you know, doing what counselors are supposed to do. So I don't remember any red flags at that point. But when I was in his office, he would have me sit on the beanbag chair And it was odd because he would sit in between my legs with the regular chair and rested his hands on my knees. I know now that he was seeing what he could get away with looking back. I trusted him at this point, so it didn't faze me. He was a Christian. He, like me, he had girls in his office all the time calling us darling. So we had an eighth grade field trip to go into, um, it's called Big Surf. That was the first wave pool, artificial wave pool in existence. And it was a big deal to go to Big Surf. 
and you know go to the beach that was our beach in the middle of the desert so that was our eighth grade field trip at the end of the year and my mom bought me a new suit that i picked out it was a one-piece black swimsuit and it had lace on it now it wasn't see-through but you know looking back it was a little sexy for a 13 year old i thinking I'm surprised that my mom okayed it, but I guess in her eyes, as long as it wasn't a bikini, it was okay. Anyway, we came back from the water park waiting for our parents to pick us up at the school. And we were required to wear a cover-up on school grounds, you know, an oversized t-shirt. So I had a large t-shirt on. So the counselor came out and all the girls were gathered around the counselor and he was wanting to see everyone's suits. So everybody was picked up except me. So he invited me into his office and sat me on his regular chair by the door. And he wanted me to show him my suit. So I quickly lifted up my shirt real fast like that and put it back down. And I sat back down on the seat. And he squatted down between my legs and put his hands on my knees, which he had done before in the beanbag chair. Well, he then decided to put his hand on my crotch. Now, I pushed his hand away. I was really confused about what was happening here, and he did the same thing. Now, I was confused as to what was going on, but I knew that what he was doing was wrong, without a doubt. So I quickly stood up and I said, I have to go. He did not stop me, miraculously. I don't remember how I got home, whether I walked home or got a ride. But as soon as I came inside the house, my mother said, what's wrong? Mom's no. So I told her and she called my dad at work. And when he came home, they called the school and called a detective. Now my parents believed me that the counselor had fondled me. And dad was like, why were you going to the counselor? You could just come and talk to us if you have some problems. Now, I probably would have, you know, talked to dad about stuff. We were pretty close, but at that time in my life, not mom. As a young teenager, I, I didn't get along with my mom very well. That's just the way it was. So the next day, I was in the principal's office with a female police officer and the principal, I had to physically demonstrate what he did to me on the female detective. So I was really glad that it was a detective. And they were very supportive and made sure that I was comfortable. And they believed me. Now they took my suit as evidence, but I never remember anyone blaming me for my suit or me for that matter, for the counselor's actions. 
He had groomed me for a year. What I was afraid of was that he was also doing this to other girls. The violation of trust hurt more than him touching me. At that time, anyway. You know, back when I went through that, I thought, oh, he was a man and he had a weak moment. Now, I know that he did it on purpose. He planned it. Very methodically. I was not his first victim. I am sure of that. Problem was, none of the girls would admit or testify that he was touching them. So I had one more week of school before summer break. Thank God I was going to high school because I wouldn't have wanted to see him wandering the halls again. I would see him in the hall, and I only told three of my best friends of the incident, but somehow I got around school. You know, I suspected the other girls who were questioned about the situation that spread it around. They were kind of in the gossip group anyway. So these kids would come up to me in the hallway and ask me if it felt good. And I thought, they, they must have thought I was raped or something, which was untrue, of course, but I was really harassed by the boys. It was so bad that I had to go and tell the principal to make them stop. You know, kids can be really horrible. But in the end, it was my word against his, unless somebody else comes forward. So he was never prosecuted. He kept his job, and I went on to high school. Yeah, I forgave him. I probably healed from it because my parents my school and the police believed me and tried to help me. I found out years and years later at a baby shower with some of the friends that I had mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that this counselor died a long, painful death from cancer. He smoked. So I'm not losing any sleep over him. Never did. I am really grateful it wasn't worse. It certainly could have been. I know that not many victims have my experience. They are not believed. They are gossiped against. They are blamed. But I still encourage you not to be silent. Fight. Shout, scream, claw, bite. Whatever you have to do. Don't hide the abuse. Because... It will be much worse to suffer silently in your pain, and you will manifest it in some way, shape, or form if you don't deal with it. Find somebody you can trust. There are hotlines. There are a lot more resources than I ever had growing up. You can talk to me confidentially. It doesn't cost anything. Bottom line is no one should be touching you without your permission especially not an adult with a minor, not a boss, subordinate relationship, not somebody who's disabled or has a, a mental illness without consent, no pastor or church member. There's a power dynamic there. 
That goes for relatives, cousins, a parent's love interest, step-parents, step-siblings, babysitters. Nobody has the right to touch you without your permission. So don't stuff it. Don't hide it. When it does come out into the open, it will probably be just as bad because you'll have to process the trauma then. But you won't have the evidence. They're going to question, why did you wait so long to tell us about the abuse? Now, I, as a professional, as an advocate, as a fellow survivor, understand why you are afraid to tell anybody. I totally get it. But again, be brave. Find somebody that will go with you to tell the story. Maybe something may not come out of it like mine did. Nothing happened. But at least you'll be able to process what happened to you. You at least could go get some counseling and get some help dealing with that pain, even if nothing happens to your abuser in this life. I guarantee you, God is not going to let these folks get away with abusing his children when they pass into eternity. I know right now it doesn't seem to be much of a comfort to you. I want justice now. I get it. I want justice now too. Well, we have to trust in the Lord that he is the best judge, non-biased judge, and he will dish out the punishments accordingly. Sometimes in this life, sometimes we'll have to wait till later. But I'm here if you need me. I will point you to the resources that you need. I'll listen. No cost, no sales pitch, no telling you what to do, no judging you, no quoting Bible verses at you, no agenda. That is my promise. So next week, we will dive into my high school years, renewing my relationship with God and my atheist boyfriend and the pains of my parents' divorce. I hope this has been interesting for you or that you could relate to it or you've been helped by it. Before we end our episode today, I'm going to play some music for you, a song. It's been a while since I've done any music at the end of the podcast, and I'm going to try and have a song each week, especially on my solo episodes. I've just been a little busy, as you know, and so sorry about that. I do want to provide you some musical inspiration. So if you don't like the music, you don't like my style, that's okay. I'm not going to be offended. You don't have to listen. Uh, we can see you next week. That's why I put it at the end of the episode. Not everybody has the same taste in music. I'm just going to play and sing what, what's inspired me. So the name of the song today is I Want to Be Christian. It's an old spiritual, and it's on my first album. So I hope that you enjoy it. It really says what was in my heart today, my testimony of getting saved, that, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. So enjoy.
So I hope to see you next week. So until then, you are no longer a victim. You're victorious. Take care and God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.